Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, just honored to be here. Um, good morning online. Just so you know, uh, you are at real church. Like it, this is, I know, a weird time for everybody. And I think that it, it can be easy probably for maybe the enemy to tell you that you're just at second rate church, but you're here. You're part of our family. We're thankful that you're tuning in. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees that you're prioritizing him this morning. And that's a big deal. In the 1970s, Burger King came out with one of the most iconic campaigns of recent history. Their main competitor, McDonald's, had been so laser-focused on efficiency that their Achilles heel was their inability to customize. And so Burger King, knowing that they needed a competitive edge, came out with this four-word slogan that changed everything. They said, have it your way. They said, have it your way, that uh, where McDonald's was, yeah, maybe going to get your burger a little bit faster, however you wanted to customize it, they would go for it. If you wanted extra pickles, if you wanted no pickles, if you wanted more mustard, less mustard, you wanted ketchup and no mustard, if you want extra cheese, they said, we are in for it. And so all of a sudden, their cafes were, uh, were flooded, that there's lines out the door, uh, but they themselves found a weakness. That more customizations, especially with long lines, meant longer wait times. And so it wasn't long before they scrapped the slogan uh, and said, we need to re-strategize, which led them to a 30-year marketing identity crisis, trying all these different catchphrases, slogans, different branding, saying, okay, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And it really led them into a kind of a, a weird spot until 2004 when they locked themselves in a room and the marketing team said, all right, this isn't working. We're not going to leave until we think about the new thing that's going to take Burger King to the next level. But in 2004, they realized that the best new thing was going back to the old thing, and they brought back the campaign, have it your way. Because they tapped into a truth that in the hearts of humanity, there lies this longing to be in charge of our own existence. We have this longing to be in control. We want to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when it's going to be convenient for us, and in the way that we'd like to. And just like Burger King offers every child who asks for it, we want to put our cardboard crown on and pretend like we're in charge. This is what the center of our text today is going to get at. That there, there's an, a flaw in all of us in this cardboard crown mentality uh, that uh, we're going to look at. Let's just get into the text. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can turn there now. Again, I want to say thank you, Pastor James, for letting me be here uh, on this stage. And I want to say thank you to Rachel, my wife, uh, for uh, just taking a couple extra baby duty shifts so I could be preparing for this. That's a big deal. I want to introduce you while you're turning to 2 Samuel 
chapter 6 to my family. Uh, This is a picture of us on Halloween. And so uh, this is us as my wife, Rachel, myself, our dog, Huckleberry, um, and and then our beautiful daughter, uh, Olivia, who um, is, she is eight weeks old yesterday. And so eight weeks, that that was a big deal. We celebrated her little eight-week birthday party, and Rachel said, are we going to celebrate every Saturday? Um, so we will until further notice. We'll let you know when the, the weeks start. It's like when someone's like, you know, four years old. It's like, oh, they're 48 months. It's, we, we know. Let's, there's a point where we'll stop celebrating on Saturdays. But we're talking about worship. And uh, as we get into this, before we really put it together, before we put it back together, we have to kind of tear it apart a little bit. And and so let me pray, and we're going to get into the text. Lord Jesus, we can't do this without you. We know that without your spirit, uh, God, uh, we can only go so far. But we, we pray that this morning it goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge, God, and that we would be transformed by your presence. In the name of Jesus, we said, amen. Somebody type amen in that chat as we get into the text. 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says this, David again brought together all of the able young men. I'm going to get right here because I, this is just going to be easier. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men uh, went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart, that's important, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating uh, with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Jesus, we need your help. God, it's only by your spirit that our hearts can be changed. We're asking not just for information today, but God, would you change us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we see here, uh, this has a pretty cheery introduction. Uh, I I mean, they have like, uh, they're they're putting on a, a party for God right? They have this uh, festival, this celebration, talks about there's instruments, there's dancing, uh, there's shouting, there's all this stuff, sacrifices um, for God. And uh, and so you have this massive Coldplay concert style worship, the light show, the fog machine, they got it all. 
And so uh, they have this moment, and from the outside looking in, uh, we go, okay, well, that's, uh, th- that's great. And then it has kind of this dark twist, and, and we're not going to like just breeze through that. It happened. Like Uzzah is dead. Like, and so it has this kind of like twist on it that from the outside looking in, at face value, we kind of go, well, what happened there? And we need to remember that the Bible was written, yes, for us, but it wasn't written to us. That it wasn't uh, written to us in 2020. That there's a lot of context that uh, we need to kind of put into the text because it's easy to get conned by a text with no context. And so we need to look at this through the eyes and listen through the ears of the original audience, which would have been Jewish. And so if we were them, we would have caught a lot of things uh, that they, on the outside, you know, we would say it went pretty well, but there's a good handful of things that they violated in the way that God had required them to have this ceremony, have this uh, celebration. For instance, the ark was supposed to be carried, uh, and you notice they put it on a new cart, big no, no. It was supposed to be transported by a specific family in the Levite tribe. And you notice he said all of the able-bodied men came and did, and it was not supposed to be touched. And this is where Uzzah went wrong. On the outside, it looked like they were doing the right things. But we see this, this, uh, this conflict between their maybe even right intentions and God's holiness. Now, this, isn't, this is really, really important. That when we come into a, a situation like this and we go, well, wow, that's a little harsh, don't you think? I mean, all he did was touch an ark. And we would hope that, you know, there's, there's forgiveness. Now, this doesn't show that God has an inability to forgive. It shows that God has an inability to be anything less than holy. It doesn't show that he has an inability to forgive. He has an inability to be anything less than holy. And we have to remember, this is pre-Jesus. And God has laid out uh, some really specific ways to be in relationship with him, some guidelines, if you will. uh, And they violated those. Therefore, there was a consequence. And uh, God's blessing, uh, he isn't blessing this exuberant praise because it's not following the guidelines that he'd laid out, which were for Israel's own good. And we can do the same thing as the Israelites. I mean, if we're really being honest, like we know what this whole thing should look like on the outside. And so we sort of do our our thing where, you know, if it's on a Sunday morning, we're here, we like the song, I will bless the Lord, you know, the whole thing, You, you do that. Maybe it's the, the shimmy, however you praise God. You know, you're, you're doing the dance, you're singing the songs, all that stuff. Um, and, and we can kind of put on this act and we just hope people don't look uh, at, at really the heart behind it. Where we can focus so much and when we do that, we, we kind of uh, idolize worship in a way where we say, uh, if I just worship harder, if I sing louder, if I clap bigger, if I dance more exuberantly, then I'm going to get the breakthrough. But I think what God might be saying in this text is maybe uh, he's not asking for exuberance so much as he's asking for obedience. And we can do this thing where we're going to, yeah, God, I love you, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for you, all this stuff, but I'm still not going to forgive my earthly father. God, I'm with you. God, I'm for you, but I, 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 
I'm not really going to give 10%, 10%. God, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I know I'm not supposed to be in that relationship, but I just can't let go. It's not about uh, our convenience, it's about our obedience. And when it comes to worship, it's, uh, it's not about us. And, and this scene happens when they came to a threshing floor. Now, a threshing floor is where uh, they would take wheat from uh, the harvest and they would separate the wheat from the chaff. Chaff uh, is the inedible casing that surrounds the wheat. Uh, It it was not uh, usable for anything, so they would separate it. And then obviously wheat can go towards sustenance. And, And I think that the Lord is making a statement here. Because exuberance without obedience is just hype. And what he's saying is, I'm not here for the hype. He's saying, I'm not here just for the the fuzzy feelings. I'm not here just for the the, the self-fulfillment. This isn't a have it your way kind of worship service. This is a have it my way. And so he's saying, I'm not here for the hype. But he's making an even greater statement. Because God shows us here that worship isn't about us. It's about obedience and surrender to Jesus. I, I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, we had our daughter, our firstborn child, uh, eight weeks ago yesterday. Uh, and so eight weeks, it, it goes so quickly. If you want to know, this is her, by the way. This is Olivia. Yes, she's adorable. Um, if you want to know what it's like to be controlled by something else, have a child. I mean, we're saying worship is about obedience and surrender and and all this stuff. This 10-pound, 4-ounce bundle of joy controls our life. She decides when we wake up in the middle of the night, which is often. She decides if something's going to take us a long time or if we're going to be able to be there on time. She decides how we spend our money. Uh, All of these things, we are controlled by this child. Um... And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying worship your children. But what I'm saying is it it makes you kind of evaluate, is that how I treat the Lord? If he says, wake up, do do I wake up? If he says, give sacrificially, not just when you can afford it, uh, give sacrificially, do I do it? Um, I'm sorry, that took a little ride on the Keep It Real Mobile too quickly. We'll get there. Uh, We'll get there later. Don't worry. We're we're just going to, we're going to wade into the water. It's all right. We'll kind of back up. We'll get there later. Let's keep reading in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, it says this. So David was afraid the Lord uh, that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. 
when he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. But when David returned to home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, uh, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Here we see a completely different story than this first uh, production, if you will. There's production number one, that David had this have it your way mentality. And so what changed between production number one and production number two? Was it a little bit bigger? Yes. Is that what God really uh, was attracted to? I don't think so. Now we need to rewind the tape that here uh, it's really specific what happened between the two. David had his friend uh, Uzzah die because, you know, he touched the ark, the whole thing. We already went through that. And so David's in kind of a spot. He's like, I'm out. I'm not about this. I'm not taking this to my city. So he kind of goes off the path to uh, the Obed-Edom, who's the Gittite, and he stays there for three months. Now, whether David realized it or not, he's starting to get some obedience issues in line because Obed-Edom is from that tribe, uh, from the family in the tribe of Levi uh, that was approved to be one that tends to the ark and transports it. So he starts to get that in line. And, and then I think, I think, I think, and we're not going to read into the text, but if I'm David, I think a turning point is when he gets the news that God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. Now he's done it the wrong way, but he's starting to see what's actually available to him. That God has already proven his holiness, his righteousness, and his power earlier in the story, but David starts to get some perspective. And it's really, really difficult. It's really, really difficult to praise without perspective. It says that uh, in First uh, Chronicles 15, it gives us the insight that David got everything together at that point. He got the, the right people. He did the right thing. He, got the, he was wearing the right clothes, all that stuff, all of the things that he was in violation of in the beginning, he starts to get things right. Obed-Edom, right guy, does things the right way. Uh, because I think that 
not only seeing uh, this power and reverence, but in that moment, David started to step back a little bit and get perspective because he sees that God is doing more than just judging, but God is blessing. And I, I think it started to go through his mind, wait a second, I have the opportunity to have this ark in my hometown because this presence of God, it's, it's not just something that judges. This is the presence of God that parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk across out of captivity and into freedom. This is the same God that provided in the wilderness food where there shouldn't have been any. This is the same God that met Moses on the mountain so that his glory was still revealing on his face days after he came down. This is the same God that brought down the walls of Jericho. This is the same God uh, that decided who won or lost battles. And that presence wanted to come with him? Church, that's the presence that wants to meet with you. That's the presence that wants to meet with you at home. That's the presence that wants to meet with you. And that kind of changes how we worship. All of a sudden, dancing doesn't sound so crazy, but it's difficult to praise without the proper perspective. Because when you try, your praise will always be contingent upon your situation. It'll always be conditional upon your situation. If David had just stayed there and said, this didn't work out my way, and so I'm out. Peace. It was when he started to see the bigger picture. It's when he started to see that this is bigger than just a situation. And what happens is we have, when we get perspective, we're drawn into praise. And when we start praising, we get more perspective. Because David, uh, when you are living a life outside of worship, you are doomed to fall into one of two ruts. One is pride and the other is shame. There is no other. A life without worship either says, I can do it on my own or God would never want me. Pride says I'm a somebody. Shame says I'm a nobody. But worship tells us that we're children of God. It's the great equalizer that David finds himself in shame and God starts to change his heart, starts to draw his heart where he sees something more is available. Someone's just got to say something more is available today. Someone's got to type it in the chat that something more is available for you today. And so when he comes into this moment, he's dancing in the streets, he's doing all of this, he's coming into alignment with what we were created to do in the beginning, what we're going to do for all of time. He's worshiping Jesus. He's worshiping God, not uh, out of something that he wants, but out of something he wants to give. And I used to imagine this scene Sort of like that scene in Footloose where Kevin Bacon, you know, drives out to the warehouse, he starts punch dancing, you know, out of nowhere, his stunt doubles doing extreme ballet, all that stuff that, you know, he's whipping around bars, you know, and, but it's, it's not quite like that. Remember, it's easy to get conned by a text with no context. And if we were the original uh, Jewish hearers of this, we would know that what he's wearing, it's not an inappropriate dress um, it's not an inappropriate attire, but rather uh, he was uh, wearing the traditional garments that you would wear in a processional like that. But he wasn't wearing what a king would wear. He was wearing what a civilian would wear. So when Michal has her criticism of him, it's not saying you were dressed inappropriately. 
They're saying, you were acting beneath your status. She's saying that uh, you were acting beneath the way that you should have. Uh, She wasn't saying he was dressed inappropriately. Uh, She was saying you were acting beneath your status by worshiping alongside the regular people. That he had laid down his royalty to go and worship with everyone else. But this is the key for you and for me. Because I don't know about you, but at this point in the story, I'm not very encouraged. Because what this has told me so far is that God wants to have a relationship with me so long as I do everything right. As long as I cross my T's and I dot my I's. So long as I follow every rule perfectly, then God's going to accept my praise. That's what, I mean, if I'm just reading at face value, David did the wrong thing, God didn't accept it, David did the right thing, and he did. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I know there's been times that I've been pretty far from doing the right thing. That even since saying, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live right, but it's not just about, uh, you know, living up those uh, 600 plus laws that are uh, in the Old Testament about what it looks like. I mean, this time I'm just trying to read my Bible, you know? Like, I'm just trying to, to get right. Maybe uh, it's a, a secret sin pattern. Maybe it's a relationship you need to let go of. Maybe it's just getting control over your mouth or your mind, whatever it is, I think you can think of the time where uh, obedience was a, a little far from how you describe your situation. And so we're left here in a bit of a rut, a little bit of a sticky spot, that if God only accepts our praise when we do everything right, and so many of us, including myself, do everything wrong so often of the time, what are we going to do? But remember, this series is called Tale of Two Kings. And we've been focusing for this last month on the life of David. But what David does here is a foreshadowing of what the second king would do. Because David took off his royal robes of an earthly kingdom. Jesus would lay down his royal robes of an eternal kingdom, that David condescended to worship among his subjects, Jesus condescended to walk among his creation. That in order to honor God, David played by the rules, but Jesus followed every law perfectly, which honored God. But here's the difference, Jesus, Instead of just enjoying the presence of God that he had earned, he looked to you and to me, those who couldn't cross a single T or or put a dot over any I, and said, I want to make a way for them. He looked at you and said, I want to make a way for you. He looked at you and said, I want to make a way for you. And so rather than just enjoying the presence of God that he had earned rightfully, he took the penalty that you and me had earned. The cross, not just a a death, but a humiliating death, an excruciating death for you and for me. This king laid down his royal robes for you and for me. And I I think about when Jesus says, uh, they say, "Are, are you here to abolish the law? And he says, no, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill it. 
I'm here to cross every T, dot every I, so that when you see, well, check this out. Remember, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And so now when we see our inability to do it right, we see Jesus' ability to do everything right. And because of his sacrifice, uh, he has now substituted himself in our place so that we don't have to experience the first type of praise. In the beginning of this chapter, we get the Jerusalem praise. And so all of a sudden, we start to get this perspective. Because David's robe suddenly became incredibly light. It's easier to shuck off. It's easier to say, you know what? This isn't that big a deal. Although God had elevated him to a spot of a king, he said, you know what? I still got a little shepherd in me, you know, because I remember that just a few uh, stories ago, I was the guy who got left out of the party when they were looking for the next king. But Jesus saw me when I was in the field with the nobodies. I remember just a little bit ago, I was the one that was getting attacked by lions and bears, but I remember God brought me through. I remember just a little bit ago that I I was the kid with a couple stones in a sling and a mountain, a giant in front of me, but God brought me through. I remember when I was the guy who had no idea what I was doing. Spears are getting thrown at me, but God brought me through. Church, what do you remember? What do you remember? Is when we look at what we remember, it's easier to let go of our robe. What's your robe today? For David, it was, it was his status. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe for you, it's money. And like Pastor James said on December 13th, I can't wait for our day of giving where we celebrate God, the greatest giver, giving Jesus to us by giving back to him. December 13th, I can't wait. Maybe for you, it's your social media following. I don't want to sacrifice that for the sake of uh, making Jesus famous, making him, or maybe it's job security. Because when David saw God coming into his town, he said, it's not about having it my way. God, have it your way. If you want me to dance, I'll dance. If you want me to lay this down, I will. If you want me to get rid of anything that separates us, I'll do it because it's not about me worshiping how I want and getting what I want from it. God, have it your way. Church, what is your robe? What do you need to lay down to say, God, this isn't the me show anymore? God, that this life isn't about me getting what I want. It's about you getting what you deserve. God, it's about you getting my adoration. What would life look like? What would your life look like if we were people who cared more about making Jesus famous than our own status, our own comfort, our own control? What would your family look like if you cared more about making Jesus famous than your own status, comfort, or control? What would your workplace look like if that's how you lived your life, that Jesus was the one in control? What would your friend circle look like? You know, the average 
Facebook user has 338 friends. Maybe you're not even on Facebook. Maybe you're thinking about that and it sounds high. Uh, well, just for however low you are, somebody else is that much higher. And maybe it sounds low or however high you are, somebody else is that much lower. 338 friends. And so if we uh, looked at our average weekend attendance online and in person, uh, if we were to say, if we were to uh, make some sort of uh, statement, if we were to show the world that Jesus is on the top of my life, that is 608,000 people who are hearing about Jesus. And I'm not saying go make a Facebook post. I'm not saying, you know, do this, that, or the other. But what I'm saying is your influence matters. And just like David was an influencer, David was someone of authority, when you make uh, decisions like this, when you make statements like that, people notice. And when David chose to come down off of his throne, he chose to lay down his robe and say, God, this isn't about having it my way. This is about having it your way. The entire city was worshiping God. The entire city was making sacrifices. The entire city was making a big deal about Jesus. Church, let's, let's stand together. We're going to take a moment to respond. We're going to take a moment to say, uh, Jesus, this is not about me. It's not the me show, but Lord, have it your way. God, take my robe. Take the thing that I'm holding on to that's really holding me back. God, it's not about hype. Lord, it's not about uh, just a production, but God, this is about making you famous. I'm not looking for what I want. I'm looking to give you what you deserve. And wherever you are today, in this sanctuary, online, on Fox 17, however you're participating today, Maybe you're even listening to the podcast later this week. But I think Jesus wants to speak to each of us. Maybe your robe is big, maybe it's small. But I think we all have something to lay at the feet of Jesus, saying this is not going to get in between you and I any longer. Saying, Jesus, my life is yours. It's not about me getting what I want. I'm done being the king or the queen of my life. I give you control. My worship isn't self-centered. God, I don't have hidden motives. And if I do, help cleanse me from them. But God, I give you control. Here's my robe. Here's my status. God, here's my comfort. Here's my paycheck. God, here's my family. God, I give you everything. Because when you do, I promise you, Jesus will come and touch every area of your life. The things that are broken will become whole. The things that are sick will become healed. The things that are uh, in, in poverty will be met where they need to. So God, come and touch our hearts. Show us your glory today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.